and welcome to another episode of the Mac and D podcast. Jimmy D, how's it going? I am. I'm feeling fantastic, my man. It's been a very hectic weekend. I spent a lot of time working, uh, working with my family, doing some some yard work, if you will, in our our duck blind. So I'm absolutely exhausted today. But luckily, I get to talk about sports to kind of rejuvenate myself before Monday. 100%. We are a big supporter of that blue collar work here. I uh, I went to the Astros game today. Super fun. Yeah, um, so Astros, rocking the Astros shirt. Yeah, dude. It feels kind of dirty wearing an Astros shirt, being former NL Central rivals with my St. Louis Cardinals. But they're a fun team, dude. Like, they don't lose. Like, they're like 79 and 47 or something right now on pace for easily over 100 wins. Um, they have all, all the scandals and stuff like that. So they're like one of the least ethical teams in the entire league. But they don't lose. They're fun. <laughs> That's for I sure. I mean, you, you work in oil, so ethics isn't your big thing, right? You're just you're, you're about money and about winning. You, you know me. That's what we're doing. So um, I had a very terrible weekend outside of that. Um, I watched the Nebraska game this past weekend, a.k.a. the game that will not be mentioned. Um, I feel like every single person in the fan base right now is like that one meme from Holes where it's like, I'm tired of this grandpa. I don't want to do this anymore. And then the grandpa is just like, you keep on digging. Uh, I don't know what to even say about the about the team at this point. We have Scott Frost just like making super questionable decisions. Uh, the team just miraculously falling apart in the second half for absolutely no reason. Uh, we go from looking like the best team to making third string quarterbacks that are transfers from other schools that just like completely didn't cut it elsewhere, looking like Heisman candidates. I really don't get it. And it's, I, I've seen some theories. I, I think there's some really, some really smart people that are talking about what's going on with the Nebraska uh, institution at this point. And I think the best one at this point is that Nebraska consistently gets athletes that are, good enough but not quite great enough to continually be in games to where we're right there we're close but we're not good enough to get over that hump and actually win and like i think it's a sound theory but then you look at like your team illinois why the fuck do you guys not keep losing all the time and like you still manage to get to like six and six we haven't been to a bowl game since the music city bowl and that was like 2016 or something like that it's insane i i don't get it i'm frustrated i throw my hands up and honestly, good for my parents for going through the best era of Nebraska football ever. I just get my mental health poisoned, so I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough to be a, a Cornhusker fan, right? Like, you guys just, I, you know, it's it seems like you're cursed, right? I mean, what, what was it last year you guys had were like 1 in 10 in like one score games? Or I, I mean, I know you'll know the stat better than I will. I just kind of get my, my sound bites. But it's like just, there, there's something clearly fundamentally wrong you, you know you have double digit leads you end up losing by a score and it's just kind of rinse and repeat the entire scott frost era um you know if, if it kind of happened for one season you're like all right that's just bad luck i think at this point not that it's surprised to many college fans it's more of a surprise to nebraska faithful of how the guys still around but it's like it's clearly a problem with the coaching staff if you're losing that many one score games like you can try to blame 18 and 19 year olds all you want, but it, it comes comes from the top in that regard. So there, there's just something that they're, they're doing that is just not right. Yeah. Like people outside are, kicking when you're up by 11. Yeah. People are making jokes about like leaving Scott Frost at the tarmac in Ireland. I'm like, honestly, do it. Like he'd probably be having more fun. Let him go do his Ted Lasso era, become a football coach in a different kind of football. Like I love the guy. I really wanted him to succeed. And like he was the, he's such a slam dunk hire whenever you came in. But you cannot predict these things. Like Steve Sarkeesian being a good hire in Alabama 
and then like Nick Saban doing kind of like a okay at Michigan State, and then just absolutely kicking ass in Maryland. Like there's no rhyme or reason in college football, which makes me really excited for NFL, where things make a little bit more sense, even if things are still equally hectic. So, uh, speaking of things that just like completely don't make sense, uh, this just happened a few minutes ago, right before we jumped on the pod. And uh, we made this with the most utmost seriousness because this is a very serious incident. Um, but one of the, the guys that we've been talking about all offseason, um, a third-round pick out of Alabama, Brian Robinson Jr., uh, reportedly just got shot multiple times in a drive-by shooting. And it seems like he's in serious but stable condition. Um, anytime you get shot multiple times, never a good thing. And honestly, like we're not even worried about the fancy impact at this point. Honestly, just true thoughts and prayers hoping he makes a full recovery because talk about a scary event that you fully can't control yeah no you hit you hit the nail on the head right there right this this transcends fantasy football we really just feel terrible for his family hope just hope nothing but the best hope for the speediest recovery possible and and i think we just leave it at that like i you know you could sit here and analyze all the fantasy implications and, and this is just not the time to do it yeah, exactly. Like, I can say, oh, you know, this is completely screwing me over one league. Like, that, that doesn't matter. Like, a man's life is on the line, and that's what's right. really important right now. Yeah, so, so on, a, on a lighter note, you kind of uh, led toward it. Illinois got a, got a dub this weekend. Sure, it was just against Wyoming, but uh, as someone that doesn't know a ton about college football, I'll treat Wyoming as the uh, school that pumped out Josh Allen. Therefore, I consider them an elite-tier program. So Illinois is off to a great start, and you love to see it. Josh Allen, Brian Hill, who was a slight sleeper for the Atlanta Falcons for a minute. So powerhouse program. He's act the program's actually run by a former Nebraska player. So yes, well, it's, it's big for Illinois. You mentioned it. We're we're not really a winning program as far as football is concerned. We're we're like a, every seven years make a, a big bowl game until they got rid of the BCS bowl. So like we're never going to make the playoffs. It's just not what Illinois is about. But if we can become a consistent seven win type team, you know, like the the Iowa type football program and that'd be i think all right for pretty much everyone in champaign urbana so th- these are the games you have to win if that's the the type of season you're expecting right you got to win the the winnable games and sneak out some of the the big 10 games are a little bit tougher yeah week zero was really entertaining you saw some teams really show a lot in week one or week zero i, I i'm never gonna get that right <laughs> we saw uconn uh, play very well against utah state which was like a huge change from what they used to do Vandy played extremely well against Hawaii and Hawaii is like a week zero week one warrior. Like they always do well early in the season and upset some teams and Vandy just completely destroyed them. So it's interesting to say I, I miss college football. I miss like actual football that has like actual ramifications. Mm-hmm. Like I was watching Nebraska Northwestern and freaking Ireland at the edge of my seat. And I'm like, this is, this is the real thing. You know, I'm just like yelling whenever there's like a random fumble. I'm like, how is that an actual call? So, right. I mean, NFL isn't back yet, but but football is back, so we can rejoice. There, there's no more exclusively talking about fantasy projections and and baseball snips. It's like we have football to talk about, so it's it's a great day for sports fans, at least in America. I'll say everywhere, but in America, it's a great day for sports fans. Exactly, preseason's been really interesting for the NFL. You're kind of a sicko if you're watching it in its entirety, but if you're like following along, there's a lot of good information to be gleaning. Um, especially when it comes to injury information. So one of the first things we want to talk about is uh, the Tarod Taylor injury. Mm-hmm. He got carted off. He just seemingly can't escape any sort of injury uh, misfortune. He had last year, whenever he's projected to start week one for the LA Chargers, he ended up having his lung punctured by a team doctor. Absolutely insane. It's two years ago, right? 
Was it two years ago now? I can't. It's two years. Yeah, yeah, two years ago. Same like, idea, right? Though it's like he had his break coming to him, and the uh, doctor, like you said, just oh, too big of a needle. Sorry, I hate your lung, there, buddy. Yeah, exactly. So um, this year, similar misfortune ends up getting carted off in their preseason game. Hope he ends up being all right. Yeah, this I, and it's as you know, we feel terrible for Tyrod, but then of course the NFL memes come out where it's like, okay, Tyrod goes down. Anytime Tyrod goes down, his backup is an absolute stud. So that means if Daniel Jones can't cut it now, like he's out of the league, right? I feel like that's totally the case. And this is really going to be end up being his last chance before he has a Josh Rosen type of just bouncing around as a third stringer. Um, he definitely has a place in the league as someone who can run the ball in at the goal line, but just as like a passer, it's just like, dude, what are you even seeing out there? He's kind of having that... Um, the Sam Darnold just like seeing ghosts out there. And I really don't understand. Sam, Sam Darnold got entered this weekend too. Yeah. It seems he's, like he's out what four, three to four or four to six, something like that. it's he, I think this injury is unfortunate for Sam. It's like, yeah, Baker won the job, but you, you want to be as healthy as you can if Baker struggles. And it's like, this is kind of just pigeonholing him to be a clipboard here the rest of the season. I feel like. Yeah, for real. Uh, did you see the injury? It looked really great. I didn't see the injury. No. It was kind of making the rounds, but also like a respectful, like, don't look at it if you don't really want to have to. Don't share this because it's gross kind of thing. It did not look pretty. It, it looked like one of those like all timers, like bones sticking out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I was pretty fortunate then that it's as short as it is. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm super squeamish with that kind of stuff. I usually look away as quickly as possible. So I was like, I know you want to look at this. A lot of other really interesting NFL news, and we've been in the thick of this with doing a lot of our fantasy drafts this past week. Um, the number one piece of information I've been gleaning throughout this entire week is that Damian Pierce is no longer asleep. No, there. Any means. See, I, I thought. I mean, it, he's been shooting up draft boards. Any mock draft you do, you know, if you've done kind of earlier drafts, it's like people that have paid any attention to preseason are starting to scoot him up. It's like whatever happened that the third week of preseason, he got just tons of coverage. Like, you know, he was on ESPN and everything. And now it's like, I mean, people are drafting him almost as an RB two at this point. Like, I mean, he, he went from like, Oh, you might know his name at one forty last pick kind of thing to this guy's going to get drafted before you know it. I mean, in, in the league where, and he was what picked 60, like, or something like that. Like, I mean, he got taken before Antonio Gibson, who I, I know we've talked about, you know, we're not necessarily high on Gibson, but I mean, like that just kind of shows it's like you have a guy that was drafted around two last year falling pretty hard. You've got this rookie just, I mean, just shooting up boards. Like there's a lot of mixing and, and tossing and turning going on right now due to preseason results. Yeah. And like, I completely applaud it. Like that means you're doing your homework, you're right. But like at the same time, we all have access to the exact same information. It's just a matter of like going through it, sifting through it and seeing the things that you need to see. I've been reading a lot about the Houston Texans in terms of running back production over the last few years. Uh, There's an article that came out. I can't remember exactly who posted it, but over the last three plus years, the Houston Texans have been dead last in terms of points per game for fantasy running backs. And it's like, it's great that you have the volume. It's great that you have the clear path to the RB1 position, which Damian Pierce seemingly has. But is that RB1 production even worth anything? It doesn't seem like it's worth a damn because even if you're RB1, you're not going to be producing anything. I am optimistic that the Houston Texans offense is going to be a little bit better, but it's like, God damn, like, do I really want to be going into this dog shit offense? Like there's a lot of attractive offenses. No, yeah, you you mentioned that too. I mean, you and I were texting and I I think there's like two two parts here, right? So 
there, you know, maybe the year three, if we're thinking like three, two, one of like leading up to this season, right? So Deshaun was kind of in his prime for the Texans. They were clearly a pass first team. Like it just wasn't a team for running backs. Then we go, okay, year, the first year without Deshaun, second year without Deshaun, or, or maybe I'm kind of flip-flopping, but it's like, it's definitely a Deshaun focused team. And then a team that wasn't really relying on running backs at all too. a team that was just completely depleted of any offensive talent when they, you know, they trade out DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun takes his, it wasn't at the suspension at that point. It was just kind of a, a sit in or, or whatever, not, you know, not a hold out, but a, like a hold in um, just a lot of weird things going on there. You know, their best running back on the roster was maybe Rex Burkhead. I mean, like they had David, the, you know, the corpse of David Johnson that they traded for like the, you know, they just they didn't quite have elite running back talent, and you know, no no shaming uh, Rex Burkhead or anything like that. But so there, there's kind of that element. It's like, okay, was it the team's fault, or is it like the fact that they just didn't prioritize the position? Um, so you know, we'll we'll see this year, right? Like it, you know, Damian Pierce looks great in preseason. Um, there, I think he's going to get pretty heavily scrutinized, regardless if he does really well or really poorly. Like I think it's just going to get overhyped. Um, but I think we'll see, okay, so if they continue to be dead last, then you have to start thinking what's wrong with this team. But I think this year would, would be kind of more of a regression to like an average for them. And I think you can expect a lot out of Damian Pierce. Yeah, definitely. And it seems like the offensive line starting to finally gel a little bit. Uh, Damian Pierce's yards for carry were looking really healthy. His yards before contact were looking really healthy. The offensive line with Laramie Tunsil, Justin Britt, mm-hmm. Titus Howard, AJ Can, like those are guys that are like actually quality players like yeah. we're not looking at well, an fcs team there you know just in general i think i mean houston's offense just looks competent this year i mean i know it's just preseason so that there's only so much you can get out of it but like davis mills is making some i mean just terrific nfl looking throws right it wasn't just like some guy out there uh you know that they're just hoping plays okay like he was making legitimate throws right there as you said their running backs were getting great yards before they're even getting hit thanks to that offensive line but even after contact uh you know damien was looking really good um, I, I think they're going to be, you know, a, more exciting than people realize. I don't think they're going to be great. You know, they just, they're still kind of a couple years away. You know, they have to get some of these draft picks that they got from the Deshaun trade to get into the system. But, uh, you know, at least hopefully, you know, for Texans fans, it's a, a little more exciting this year. I, don't, I mean, you just, that's kind of what you're hoping for. And, uh, you know, they got a couple of receivers. Brandon Cooks is always going to get 1,000 yards. Nico Collins was making some pretty good, you know, Randy Moss-type grabs out there. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it works out for them. Even if they're not at, like, a, a high-win team, at least if they can put up points, you know, it would be exciting to watch. Yeah, James Dutt, the believer. Honestly, a pretty decent, like, pick for a defensive rookie of the year candidate. Derek Stingley Jr., I don't know if you've been seeing some of his highlights, but God damn it, his recovery time is insane. The dude will, like whiff on a receiver because like as a corner and you're young it's hard to play that position mm-hmm. but his recovery time is like crazy the dude looks like a young Darrell Revis not to have hyperbole there but uh, another guy that was an interesting cut this past week we've had a variety on the defensive end but the the most notable offensive cut this past week was the Raiders releasing Kenyon Drake the backup running back behind Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs um, man was an absolute beast when it came to fantasy a couple of years ago when he finally got that lion's share in Arizona. Uh, and seemingly he fell out of favor with the brand new coaching staff that's there with Josh McDaniels and co. So Yeah, I think he, he definitely had to have been, because he was a Gruden guy, right? He came in last year on a pretty big contract. Um, 
I, I think this is just kind of, you know, an instance, uh, it's, it's Mike Mayock, right? Was there, was there GM and he's no longer, is he still their GM? I, I can't remember that. Uh, the whole, the whole freaking Okay. So, but it's like, man, that was, that's know. tough, right? They, they spent 20 or $30 million for about one year of a backup running back. Like that just kind of shows some, some front office incompetence. And it's kind of, I think shows why that even though the players liked their interim coach last year, the, the organization felt they needed to kind of just overhaul everything and, I think this is just kind of part of it. You're going to see some weird cuts where McDaniels is just like, how is this guy in the building? Like, let's get him out of here. Yeah, it's really crazy, his fall from grace. But that's decent news for Josh Jacobs. That means that the bell cow on the goal line running back that we know has been siphoning carries from him is now no longer an option. Mm -hmm. But that does mean opportunity for two other guys that are going to be in the offense. Zamir White, who is a rookie out of Georgia, he might end up being the new goal linebacker. He's a big body, was kind of the spelling of James Cook last year whenever they were both at Georgia last year. He's definitely going to be the guy who's going to be punching it in at short yardage. And then my guy, Amir Abdullah, hanging around, staying fancy relevant. you love to see it. Um, he actually had an incredible receptions per game last year, even when some of the guys in Carolina were healthy. Chuba Hubbard was ahead of him. Um, CMC when he had his like couple moments in the sun. Amir Abdullah, he gets catches. And if you're in a PPR format, maybe one that's like a full PPR, he might be worth a look later on the season if some other injuries happen ahead of him. Um, so it, it might end up being a bit of a committee. Josh McDaniels coming from that uh, the Patriots offense where they really like, okay, we're in this situation. We want to have this type of back. And they have three different backs that can fit three different roles. So it's going to be an interesting year. Yeah, I, I would be very cautiously optimistic about any of these players just because, like you said, Josh McDaniels has proven, I don't know, over the last 10 years that it's going to be the hot hand at running back and the game plan is going to change every quarter. So you, even if you feel like, all right, my guy's getting his touches in the first quarter, he might not touch the ball again the rest of the game. Like it, it's wild what we've done with running backs in new England. And I think that's about to happen here for Los Angeles as well. But my question to you is, you know, at their ADP, so not necessarily just who would you want? Cause it, I think it'd obviously be Josh Jacobs, but at ADP, who of those three do you think you would maybe try to target? At ADP, and we, we talk about this a lot, we want like value. So we don't necessarily be like, hey, we love this guy. We love this guy at this certain position, at this certain ranking. Honestly, I think I'm going to go Zamir White. As much as touchdowns are very fluky, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities if Devontae Adams is getting tackled at the one-yard line. I think Zamir White be able to have that chance to punch it in. Uh, there might be a lot of touchdowns there, and it seems like he would be the next man up with him being the youngest running back there as well. If this year ends up turning into a bit of a transition year, a bit of a regrowing year, I think they're going to go with the the younger guy. And Amir Abdullah, hey, God, he's been in the league for like six or seven years now. Josh Jacobs just had his fifth-year option turned down. I think Samir White is the most logical choice to get those developmental it's, touches. Yeah, this is going to be one of those years where it's like, pay close attention, I think, to that Raiders backfield because everyone's focusing on their wide receiver cores, right? Devontae, Hunter Renfro, um, Dan Waller, like everyone's so excited for that passing offense. That means defenses are kind of focusing on it too, right? I think there's going to be a lot of open lanes for these running backs. And if you can find a Zamir White off your waiver wire after week one, or, you know, if Amir Abdul's proving, you know, he's getting targets, like that, that's kind of something where you can sneak in there and get, get running back production. If, if maybe some of your uh, lottery type picks aren't panning out the way you thought they would. Yeah. 100%. 
let's run through some of this other NFL news that's coming out. Um, we had a very busy podcast last time, so we're trying to catch up a little bit with this recent news. Uh, one of the big storylines that's been coming out is Isaiah Likely, one of the great names of the NFL that came out of this recent draft. He's a fourth-round draft pick by the, by the Baltimore Ravens. He's a tight end. The Baltimore Ravens, they know tight ends. They know how to get the bid-round guys and turn them into stars. He went absolutely off and their uh, second preseason game against the Arizona Cardinals. Also, Baltimore Ravens have now won 22 straight preseason games. It's absolutely straight. They're, they're unbelievable. Uh, we tweeted out this week, like, every single game, the Baltimore Ravens should be treating like a preseason game because they would never freaking lose. Mm-hmm. They turned it They turned into the 1972 Dolphins whenever they have a chance. It's insane. And so Isaiah Likely, Isaiah Likely, excuse me, had eight catches for 100 yards against the Arizona Cardinals in the first half, only half the game. And it's looking like an absolute stud, uh, even with like the Mark Andrews kind of breathing down his neck sort of thing. So is it is it tight end country right now in Baltimore? Yeah, oh, dude, absolutely. I, I'm excited to see what kind of crazy concoctions they come up with. So a very common phrase we've heard since Sean McVay's gone to L.A. is the, the 11 personnel grouping. So for people that don't know what that means, it's one tight end, one running back, three wide receivers. And, and that's like pretty much all L.A. will run. Uh, and I, a lot of teams are not necessarily copying that, but they come from that that McVay coaching tree. So they, they all love that zone scheme. They love the 11 personnel. I'm waiting to hear 41 personnel coming out of Baltimore where it's four, four tight ends, one running back. They say, screw it. We're, we haven't been great with wide receivers. Don't need them. We're putting every big guy out there. We got Lamar that can run, and we got a, you know J.K. Dobbins or Gus Bus running the ball behind them. We're, you know, we're going to see what they come out. And if a defense comes out heavy – Screw it. We got a couple, you know, speedsters that can, or as far as tight ends are concerned, you know, get good mismatches and run it. If they come out in like a nickel coverage, it's like, cool, we're bigger than every person out there and we're going to run it down your throat. I think it, as a, if you were a Ravens fan, I'd be excited to see what kind of just unique things you guys can do on offense. Yeah. And I think uh, you're 100% right. I think that formation might end up being the biggest market inefficiency going forward. If you can have guys that can block, who can run, who can catch, like that is absolutely insane with size as well. Isaiah likely is a big man. He's almost like an extra tackle whenever he's in there. And if the Ravens can have a little bit of that Mark Andrews, Isaiah likely stuff going on, run a little bit of the eye, but also it's not the eye because you have two guys that can just run out and do a post route. That'd be absolutely insane. And my brother, shout out my brother, Drew Mack. He would be remiss if I didn't mention this. This reminds me a lot of some of the Baltimore offenses that we've seen earlier this decade when the Baltimore offense was actually able to support multiple tight ends. You had Dennis Pitta and Ed Dixon for a little bit. Before that, you had Mark Andrews, who ended up spelling his way into there. He wasn't a star from day one. A lot of people don't remember. It was him and Hayden Hurst splitting snaps for a while. And both of those guys ended up being at least somewhat fantasy relevant for a while. So I could totally see this turning into a situation where likely is more of a wide receiver two rather than a tight end three that just like isn't going to be doing a lot. So yeah, I, I believe it might be the biggest mismatch in the NFL, right? You know, it's, uh, the, the best coach in the NFL, Bill Belichick, is absolutely in love with tight ends. And there's a period of time, I think, that people forget where the Patriots were running Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski in sets. And like teams just did not know what to do because they could both block and they both were just so fast they could run amazing routes. Again, we're talking Aaron Hernandez football player right here, not the person. Uh, so I think the Ravens have, have kind of been able to catch lightning in a bottle where they have, you know, three tight ends that they like four you know, four or five tight ends on the roster that might actually make the final 53. And, and I, they're going to be able to just make some sets where, like you said, they are like, Hey, 
Rashad Bateman, wide receiver one. Every other tight end is wide receiver two, and we're just going to you know, move them all around all over the place, find the mismatch, and just let Lamar scramble around and pick defenses apart. Yeah, 100%. And I know it sounds like that I just have a huge man crush with anything that happens with Baltimore Ravens, but they know they know ball. Like, they know how to get talent. And I've had some conversations before with some of the people in their player development and analytics areas, and they don't mess around. Like, they work very hard putting a lot of this together. And Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina, like, who was thinking about drafting him? And they turned him to a potential star that could be going forward. So... Uh, good for them. You know, it's the next, next Nick Boyle in a lot of ways. Another guy with the Baltimore Ravens that I've been absolutely crushing on this offseason is uh, Huntley, their quarterback, uh, Taylor Huntley. He's been absolutely insane this preseason. Going into their last night's uh, final preseason game, he was 29 for 32 in the preseason. Zero interceptions, throwing the absolute cover off the ball. And my question to you, Jimmy D., we're looking at some of these more quarterback-hungry teams. We're looking at the Texans. We're looking at the Seahawks. Carolina's had their weird controversy going on. My question is, why did no one else try to pick up Huntley, who is a young stud quarterback out of Utah? Like, it, it would just make a lot of sense to be able to like throw a flyer at him, throw a fifth-round pick at him or whatever, whenever hey, the Ravens don't need him. He definitely flew under the radar and somehow continues to fly under the radar, right? Like, he played three or four games for the Ravens last year because Lamar did struggle with some injuries and, you know, had some some cramping, things like that. Like, you know, there's been plenty of time where Tyler Huntley's been in the spotlight being able to to kind of showcase himself. And, and you think a, a quarterback-hungry team might be like, hey, Ravens, you know, here's a fourth-rounder. Like, what do you say we swap? And you're surprised you haven't heard anything like that? But then it's also, I think, really good on the Ravens to, to realize that you know, the, the type of offense they run, it's really necessary to have a good backup quarterback because you just never know if Lamar takes a hit if he's going to be out the rest of the game. So it's, I think, you know, I hate sitting here hyping up the Ravens, but it's like, you, you just got to be excited as a Ravens fan to kind of see that there's a lot of depth on that roster. Yeah, it'd be pretty wild if they were able to turn him into an actual asset, um, just to be able to get more and more churning through that Ravens organization. Um, it's pretty cool to see someone like this just like absolutely throwing the cover off the ball. It reminds me a lot of like when RG3 was with Washington and then you had Kirk Cousins sitting right behind him. They were drafted at similar times, similar ages, and then Kirk Cousins went on to actually do his own thing elsewhere. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty cool whenever you have that backup quarterback turn into something as well. And I think we might be seeing another one right now. Um, the backup quarterbacks are like the walk-ons of the NFL, right? When you're at like a college basketball game and your team's just whooping whoever's there, and it's like everyone's cheering for the walk-on to get on the floor. I think every fan base is like, when you're when your backup balls out, especially if people aren't like a huge fan of their their starter, like it's different for the Ravens because people love Lamar. But like I remember when Josh McCown was coming out for the Bears, like people want to cheer for that underdog. So you just love to see these backups like really playing well because it just kind of adds more fun to the to the game. It really does. And whenever it's a guy that like everyone was kind of rooting for going in, coming out of Utah, like he was a very fun college football player. Uh, I think it just makes it even more special. And I think a little bit of his play last year was a little bit overrated just to like put a little bit of like a wet squirt bottle, a wet cloth on this entire conversation. Like he didn't play overly well last year, but he was also put into a bad situation where the the Ravens lost their left tackle. 
all of their all their backup running back. The whole team was dead last year. Yeah, the whole team was dead last year. I don't I don't know if you saw this, but like the the Baltimore Ravens uh, mascot Poe, the Got Ravens, injured, yeah, injured as well. They had to like cart him off and everything. Too. He sacrificed so J.K. Dobbins could live. Exactly. It's like, hey, here's my ACL. Please take it. Just make sure you stay healthy through the entire year. And yeah, so it, the Ravens just can't get out of their way. But um, Huntley, it's cool that if something ends up happening, to Lamar. They have a plug-and-play guy right after him. So, um, another interesting NFL story going on right now. We have Jamison Williams officially being out for the Detroit Lions. He got put on the NFI list. He's going to be out at least four weeks at this point. Um, it can be more. Uh, he might end up getting put onto the IR list, which, if I'm understanding the new rules correctly, that means eight weeks. It's not full season like it used to. Um, they, they're changing them all the time. And with the COVID designation as well, it's really hard to keep track of. Um, but NFI list means four weeks. The timetable, which is for normal human beings, not Adrian Peterson when he came back after like eight months, usually with the kind of injury that Jameson Williams has, we usually see 12 months, which would push him right on that like October timetable. So mm-hmm. uh, personally, I don't really see a ton of value in drafting him. By the time he gets put into the offense, it's going to be a little bit late. A lot of guys are going to be ahead of him with a sneaky good wide receiver core for the Detroit Lions. Uh, what's your take here, Jimmy D? Are you taking so, a risk? Oh, yeah, two, two, two points here. I think the, the way it's set up now, and, and I might be wrong about this, but the IR is still season long if it's in the preseason. So if you don't make the 53, once you're on IR, you're on it for the year because that, that's kind of how some teams – you know, stash or hide players or you see kind of like contract buyouts at that point. So it's good to see him on NFI and not IR because that means he did, he gets to come back. Uh, the second point, you know, like you're saying, I don't think it's worth drafting. So the, the Lions knew this was going to be kind of a recovery project. You know, he tore his ACL in the, in the championship game this year, right? Or, or in the playoffs, whenever it was like, it's very late in the season. So they knew there was going to be a recovery process with Jamison Williams. Um, so like that they're not going to rush them out like they they knew what they were getting into uh to your point again like there there's plenty of other receivers on that team you know the wing dragon of amon Ra will is kind of coming into his own so he'll he'll be out there i, I think what might actually happen is he might be almost like this year's amon Ra, where it's like out of nowhere the last six weeks he finally kind of catches his stride and, and it might really pop off for for a few good games so you know, keep your eye out. I'm sure all of us here are going to be watching a ton of Detroit Lions games. And we're going to be really aware of when he's finally coming back. Um, but, you know, if not, maybe try to catch some highlights and see if, if he's starting to make some plays towards the back half of the season. Let's but, brainstorm. You no, know, I would not draft him. Yeah, okay. So, like, like, let's brainstorm this a little bit for, like, people that are drafting him. Maybe they're in, like, a slightly deeper league or wherever that, like, goes 18 rounds deep or something like that. Yeah. You draft Jameson Williams right before you draft your kickers and defense, which we're going to be talking about later. Stay tuned. You stash him in your IR spot. Week yep. two, Adam Thielen, one of these older guys, goes down. Do you think Jameson Williams is like worth keeping at that point? Or do you just cut him and then like if you see him potentially coming back later in the year, you pick him up like right before the injury ends up coming back? Because like that's yeah, kind James, of bad. To, to me, he's the guy that you if if you if you love him, yeah, you draft him at the very end, stash him, pick someone else up. I, I almost think he's the guy where it's like you draft, you drop your kicker, pick him up, stash him, pick some other guy up, and then right before the season starts, try to figure out, okay, who am I actually going to cut? 
mm-hmm. excuse me, once once everything's kind of all figured out, once the dust is settled, if you have a player that's producing and needs that IR slot, I think you cut Jamison Williams. Unless it's, like you said, like an Adam Thielen, and it's like he's gone, or we'll say just any productive veteran but older, and it's like, oh, this is going to be at least eight-week injury. When it's an older guy, you might be like, ooh, I, I might actually cut that guy just because they, they come back a little slower from those bigger injuries. But if I've got someone that's producing consistently, I just I love upside, but I, I don't think you can sit there and, and hope and pray for upside. It's kind of like the people that were drafting Josh Gordon, you know, five years after his 1,400-yard season because they're like, but the, when the flash is in, he plays well. It's like, yeah, but you can't waste a roster slot the whole year because that one time he looked really good, you know, when he wasn't completely riddled with drugs. Yeah, true. Yeah, I love Jameson Williams. Like, I think all the peripheral stuff is like really great with him because he ended up being a twelfth overall pick. The Lions traded up a shit ton of stuff in order to get him at twelfth overall. Like, all the investment makes a lot of sense. It's just by the time that he's healthy, I think so many of the other guys are going to be so far ahead in the program. And then Dan Campbell, which like by all accounts is a pretty old school kind of coach. He's going to look at this rookie and be like, you're so far, far behind, dude. Like, there's no yeah. shot. Like, you are on hard. Very highly likely it's a redshirt year for Jamison. Exactly. And so I just personally don't want to deal with that at any point. Running through these couple other NFL updates, one of the funnier stories this preseason has been Denzel Mims. Uh, wide receiver out of Baylor. He's a wide receiver for the New York Jets right now. Uh, hasn't produced like he's supposed to. Um, he was a very high draft pick. And then he made a request to the New York jets to be traded, which is just like, is everybody going to trade request now? Like, can you and I like request a trade to another podcast? Like, are you going to go over to like some sort of like high scale NFL podcast? I don't really get what's happening with these trade requests anymore. The most random guys can apparently request a trade. And then right after he requested the trade, he had a preseason game. He went off for over 100 yards. He was tapping at his wrist like, hey, it's about time. You got to trade me. You know, I've been going off. And so it's one of the funnier preseason stories for such a bit small story in the NFL. Yes. This is like a – it's like a guy is trying to bluff at the poker table when he's playing 7-2 offsuit face up. You know, it's like – dude, everyone's aware, like, you haven't done anything yet. Like, you really need to just settle in, find your role, and produce. You know, the Debo Samuel balled out. He can request a trade. You know, like, guys that have actually done something and request a trade, just because you got drafted to a team does not mean you get to request a trade. Like, you got to do something first. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that one meme that has been making the rounds. It's that guy who's on, like, the Olympic podium. He's going around like, fuck you, throwing the birds. And yeah. Everything. And then it turns out he's in third place. That's, yeah, right. that's exactly what it is. You have no shot of being the number one receiver. You're not the hot shot. Yeah, he's like that. But if it was third place, rather than third place, it was, like, eighth or ninth place. It's like, dude, you might not make this roster. I think I'd be kind of calming it down a little bit and, and you know, being a, a raw, raw guy that actually makes the team. Yeah, if you're a high draft pick and then your team looks at that and is like you know what we drafted you as a high draft pick at wide receiver and then they turn around and draft even more guys at high draft picks like garrett wilson it's like dude they fit the same position like see the writing on the wall a little bit like and Mm -hmm. also what other franchise in the nfl is actually going to start denzel Mims? like wide receiver is one of the deepest positions in the entire nfl and it's like one of those positions where you just really need to put your head down and produce a little bit the money's out there. You just got to like put it into work a little bit. And yeah. Denzel Mims just like isn't that guy at this point. 
Another guy that's been interesting this offseason, uh, someone who's near and dear to both of our hearts, Trey Flowers. Both, yeah, both of our hearts, man. I know. That, that's the other reason I put this on. We don't talk about a lot of defensive players. You know, we're, we're not talking about the Denver Broncos, random cut of Joe Schober. Um, Trey Flowers randomly decided to sign with the Miami Dolphins uh, this past week. Uh, he definitely still has upside. He had like an 18-sack season at one point. Uh, we never saw that level of production in Detroit, but with New England, he looked incredible. So do you think this moves the needle at all for the Dolphins? Do you think he actually plays? I, he'll play. He, I think there's still some some juice left there. He he definitely had a bad time with the Lions, but I think in all fairness, everyone did. Like The Patricia era was just not great for that team. So I, I think this is the, the case of fresh start might do a lot of good. So let, let's you know hold off on, on calling him washed until we see him you know through a few weeks with the dolphins because he he was absolutely incredible as a patriot it's just like man it never quite worked out and with the lions yeah i was watching a video this past week one of my friends sent me this low light video for all the ways the nfl referees have decided to be creative with how the lions outcomes have turned out and it reminded me of the couple games in 2019 when trey flowers got penalized twice mind you in closing drives against the kansas City chiefs who went on to win the Super Bowl, and the Packers, who ended up winning, um, going all the way to the NFL champ- or NFC Championship game. And Trey Flowers got hands to the face in both of those right. games on final drives. And it's like, why? Like he, He's a quality player. He knows what he's doing. He's just had some bad luck between penalties and injuries. And I think, honestly, I, I'm a big fan of the new Dolphins coach. He came over for uh, from the 49ers. If he ends up being competent, I, I could totally see him up having an impact on this team. So I, I think you highlighting the penalties there, though. It's like I know it's not the the point of this podcast, but we could spend so much time talking about how how much better the NFL could be with review because you know people in a bar can see what what the call should be. Like it's amazing that the NFL is still like, nope, our our refs are infallible. Like we're gonna keep the you know what they say is what goes. It's like why is there not just a guy in the booth that just calls in on a walkie talkie like? Hey, it wasn't hands to the face. Just fix it. No, no harm, no foul. And they're like, nope, can't do that. Judgment call. Let the refs change the game. Yeah, like even baseball starting to get. Like I went to the Astros game today, and there was a triple that went down the line, and it was like it was kind of close on if the guy at third base ended up tagging out the runner, and then on re- on replay, it was like the clearest thing, clearest day, got him right on the butt. So it's like I don't know how baseball, which is one of the most bass backwards entire mm-hmm. leagues, the entire sports universe right now ends up making this better than the nfl does right now but well the play clock is 40 seconds like fans get to see a replay four times before the next play and they're still just like nope can't change it i I know it would be easy i know it'd be quick i know we could you know say oh the play changed therefore play clock goes down to 15 seconds but like they just refuse to let technology exist because they probably would rather just keep the games close i won't say fix them but they like to keep them close yeah i can't wait till millennials and gen z are in these sports leagues making decisions it's gonna it's gonna change a lot and i think it's gonna be a lot for the better uh another interesting note we're going outside of football now we started talking about baseball a tad um julio rodriguez uh the outfielder for the seattle mariners he's a rookie this year He's been an absolute superstar in terms of just overall production. He's doing a little bit of everything, fielding, hitting, base running. Uh, He's already eclipsed 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases, which is kind of like 
uh, it's kind of an interesting club once you get to that point, especially as a rookie. And then the Mariners were like, okay, we understand this guy is amazing. And he started to do a contract extension with the Mariners. But he's one of the most interesting uh, that I've ever seen. And we've been talking about baseball contracts, just kind of like as a side tangent note. But like this one really took the cake. It's a deal that can end up paying him for six years, 12 years, or 14 years, depending on length. And then also depending on a variety of incentives, could end up being $210 million all the way up to $420 million. Nice. From what I've seen with Jeff Passan, who's kind of like the Adam Schefter with the, uh, with the uh, MLB, it's most likely going to end up being 10 years or so for like $320 million or so. But it's kind of crazy seeing the, the length and then just like the sheer amount of incentives that are just like aren't guaranteed. It's like, I don't even know what to expect for this. Yeah, hearing that, it sounds like they just strung together like seven one-year contracts. We're like, hey, you want to just sign them all right now instead? And it's like, cool, it just is efficient. Like, that's a very interesting deal. Yeah, we've been talking a lot with the Braves, but now the Mariners are getting a little bit in on the party. I honestly, I don't know what to expect with these deals. Like someone's going to end up getting mad in the collective bargaining agreement way down the lower road. It's either going to be the players. It's either going to be the owners, the teams. Um, but I, I think it's creative. And as someone who like would like to get into sports, like down the road or something like that, as like a CFO or something like that. It's cool seeing people like going through the, the CBA and be like, Hey, this is like the creative language that we can put together to make an interesting contract that is agreeable for both me as the team and you as the player. So uh, Julio Rodriguez, congrats on getting paid. You are a 20 ish year old. That's making way more money than me and Jimmy D. <laughs> uh, some other interesting non-football things. We got Kevin Durant staying with the uh, Brooklyn Nets, finally having yeah. some level of conclusion there. I'm tired. Yeah, of the it's, injury, so. it's what we expected. Like no one could make a package big enough to trade for him. It's, it's almost like a non-starter really. Like people just kind of knew that's what was going to happen. Yeah, it definitely feels like a kiss and makeup kind of story. Like, uh, you know, you cheated on your girlfriend a little bit, but like it was just emotional infidelity. It wasn't like anything physical, you know? So it was like a pretty easy, like no one actually did anything, you know? Like, let's just come together and like fix things up. It definitely feels like the Brooklyn Nets have a ticking clock a little bit on the Kevin Durant era, but we'll see what ends up happening with this whole thing. Uh, it, it's an interesting team now with Ben Simmons. It seems like Kyrie is most likely coming back as well. He's not going to get traded to the Lakers for two first-round picks, as the original kind of thought was for this entire offseason. Uh, they're going to be a master class. They're going, to, they're going to be a team to watch throughout the entire season, and they're going to be a team that you're always going to be like, oh, can if we're a team that's like right on the fringe, can we maybe make a deal for Kyrie? Can we maybe make a deal for Kevin Durant or Ben Simmons? So, uh, they're intriguing, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what people are going to do with like their over under this year. Like I really want to do like an over under pod once we're getting a little bit closer to NBA season being like, Oh, the Brooklyn Nets are set at like 46 wins or whatever. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Like they could be the over the easiest. That'd be a fun pod because it'd be like the comparison of you who knows the NBA really well, making educated picks versus me making basically coin flip picks and just seeing who's actually like, 
you know, are the line makers good enough to where it actually is about a coin flip between over and under and, you know, they got their, their numbers, right? Yeah. The NBA, especially they do a fantastic job on that. I think there's some market inefficiency in football, but in NBA, it's like, I don't even know what to do with something. More, more games, more stats. You get a little bit better results. Exactly. The last thing for recent news is the Pulos update. You're in St. Louis. What's the pulse right now? Man, people are losing their minds. We we want nothing more than Albert to hit a home run every time he even like thinks of, of the game of baseball. So it's just really exciting. I, I think you know St. Louis obviously as a whole loves the dude, but I'm pretty sure everyone in the MLB world wants Albert to pass Alex Rodriguez at the least, if not you know get to 700 just because of how exciting it would be. So man, everyone wants, wants the old guy to just do it, and, and we're all cheering for him. Yeah, 100%. So Pulis is up to 693. He smacked another one this past week. Every single night, whenever the Cardinals are playing, my dad calls me and he's like, why isn't Pulos playing more? And I'm like, dad, I don't know. Like, what do you want me to do? Do a phone call to the bullpen or something? I don't know. Uh, but hey, I really hope he hits 700 because it'd be super freaking fun. So uh, the rest of the pod here, we're going to be going quickly over defenses and special teams and kickers. It's not the most sexy conversation, but you can win a little bit on the peripheral there. And then we're going to do a hot take section called bearish or bullish. So uh, we're going to take a quick break for this ad, but we will be right back. Today's riveting pod is brought to you by the men behind movie theater popcorn. Hello, faithful listeners. We need to talk. There's a variety of elements that make the movie theater going experience enthralling. The recliners, the people watching, the potential for action if you sit in the back row. But you know what really does it for me? The guessing game that is movie theater popcorn. You first have to guess about the size of the popcorn. I swear the fine people at Starbucks took inspiration from movie theaters for their sizing. Is small small? Is small medium? Is medium venti? Is tall small? The prices also put you in a loop that would make the spin cycle on your washing machine jealous. The small is $7.50, the medium is $15, and the large is $15.15. What kind of psychological warfare is this? Then there's the butter. Don't get me started on the butter. You ask them what's in it. They have no clue. Is it yellow dye number five? The crushed juice of beetle larva? Despite these concerns, you better believe I'll be stuffing my face full of some movie theater popcorn while my arteries slowly congeal while watching the worst fucking two and a half hours of cinema I've ever seen. Thanks again for movie theater popcorn for your funds. And let's get back to the pod. And we're back. So we're going to move into defenses and special teams. So what is your general strategy here, Jimmy D? Yeah, this one, I think I I stay pretty chalky here. I'm not picking a defense or a kicker until my last two picks. And I I think generally I go defense first, then kicker. I don't think it inherently matters. Like at that point, you're just kind of picking almost whoever wherever you're drafting whatever their projections are of who's going to do the best i just go okay good enough for me let me let me give it a try just because i I don't really know mm-hmm. i think there's some teams where it's like if they're available you go for them just for you know just kind of being excited about them or like wanting to cheer for a defense like i'm almost okay with that too because it's it's just not really that relevant of a slot for fantasy football like they just the difference between the best and worst defense generally speaking is you know 10 to 20 points over a whole season mm-hmm. it's a difference when it's like the patriots of three years ago that were outscoring zeke elliott through like 10 weeks because all they were doing was turning over terrible quarterbacks and scoring touchdowns but that happens once in a blue moon so i, I don't think you try to necessarily project that um but i don't know what, what are your thoughts there yeah and we were talking pre-pod about this that 
a lot of leagues are trying to get rid of like the defensive spot as well as the kicker spot. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, specifically the the defense spot because like it's so random, right? Like you randomly have Trayvon Diggs for the Cowboys getting like seven pick sixes last year, turning the Dallas Cowboys pretty mediocre defense into an absolute stalwart defense. You have teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year was getting drafted really, really highly because they had a very talented defense and they have a very talented real life defense, but that's really hard to translate into mm-hmm. actual fancy production. So it's just yeah. like, what are we even playing for? You know, like well, why, and there's, why there's no nuance either. So like, cause yards given up, isn't a metric that as honestly as using fancy, it's just points given up. And then like, if you turn the other team over, mm-hmm. so like if your offense is bad, even if you have this amazing defense, but if they turn the ball over at the 20, like it's not the defense's fault that you gave up. A touchdown or, or three points there like i mean they like what are you supposed to do and the ball gets turned over in the red zone it's it excuse me it's, it's one of those situations where it's like there needs to be for, for me to actually care about defense in, in a fantasy setting it's like there needs to be much more nuance of like did they hold them to three points after a turnover because that's that's like a big momentum swing if you can hold a team or you know did they turn the opposing offense over in the red zone because that's way bigger you know that, that's a, a for real point swing versus just like oh, we made them punt after nine plays, but kind of wore ourselves out and like the position battle carries on. Yeah, well, 100%. And we talk a lot about like, in just like a general science sense, like no one knows how the ocean works. Like there's so many things deep down in the black part of the ocean that we don't know what's happening. Defense is 100%, 100% that in the NFL. Like you would think that you would just look at points given up and yards given up. But that's just not how it works. We're looking at things that are way more advanced than that. And so that's why people just generally don't like drafting mm-hmm. defenses because just because a team gives up a lot of yards and gives up a lot of points doesn't make them a bad a bad defense and vice versa. If you get a few yards and few points, like I think like the 2010 Chargers were like the biggest epitome of that. They gave up a lot of yards or they gave up very few yards and very few points. But that didn't necessarily mean they were good defense because there's a lot more context that goes into well, that. that there's, there's this special team element to it as well. You, you mentioned that Chargers team. Their defense was awesome, but their special teams was just horrendous. They gave up, you know, return touchdowns, punt return touchdowns. They, I mean, missing field goals. Like they like they lost the game for their team. And it's like, okay, are we really picking a special team? Like these are the guys that are barely making a roster. You don't know their names unless they're like Matthew Slater. I mean – it's just it's just such, such a random group that it's really weird. A kicker makes more sense because they are people too, so I understand picking them as on a fantasy metric. But the, the defense special teams is such a weird, really hard to project pick. Other than like you just want to see who's playing the Jets and just go for it. Yeah, beyond our analytical gripes with everything, why do you personally always do defenses and special teams and kickers in those last two rounds? Yeah, I think it really comes down to the just the positional relevance and scarcity, as you mentioned, for quarterbacks. So there's 32 defenses, there's 32 kickers. If you're in a 12-man league, the difference between the 13th best kicker and the first overall kicker, I mean, I know it's like it's exciting to have Justin Tucker because he makes clutch kicks, but okay, two clutch kicks is the same as two meaningless field goals in a fantasy perspective. So I don't care if I have you know, a, a Ryan suck up that goes three for five versus a Justin Tucker that goes three for three. It's the same scoring. So it's getting, you know, taking a, a kicker, say in like the, the eighth round, making sure you get Justin Tucker. 
you're you're losing out on on taking some lottery picks on on players that could be league winners and and your kicker and defense will never be a league winner so take all the chances you have at a legitimate player that you know like that rookie that you're excited about or or someone that's in just a new offense that they could you know have a, a great year take those guys before you're taking your defense and kicker yeah and as we like transition into the actual football season you're going to hear us talking more and more about matchups you're going to be hearing us talking about oh derrick henry's going against a really good run defense maybe you don't want to necessarily start him if you have a really good option behind him that happens only sometimes like you gotta start your studs right like you gotta start uh you gotta start jamar chase like he's matchup independent but when it comes to defenses Mm -hmm. and special teams they are incredibly dependent on who they're going against and you're hearing us talk about a lot of that in today's pod because this defense is going against this absolute dog shit quarterback like he ends up being that defense ends up being way more valuable because you're going against a team that's giving up a lot of uh, yards, a lot of points, a lot of uh, turnovers. And it just makes a lot of sense to go against that team. And the, my other like big pet peeve, other big thing that I give to advice I give to people, whenever it comes to fantasy defenses is please don't roster more than one at a time. If we're going to playoff time and you see the Dallas Cowboys are playing the New York giants in week 17, and that's your championship definitely pick up the Dallas Cowboys defense. Like you're not going to need that fifth string running back. Um, But early in the season, whenever you're still taking flyers on Jameson Williams or other people that we've been talking about, it's no point in holding on to the Browns defense and the Packers defense. No one's going to trade you anything for that Packers defense. Anyone that's like a decent fancy player knows better than that. And they're going to realize, oh, I can just stream the 13th best defense and get 99% of the value. So please yeah, don't. I think one, once a year I text my mom because I'm, I'm in a fantasy league with her. It's kind of just a, a fun league. There's a lot of just random positions in there. And I'm like, hey, mom, you have a, an extra defense on your roster. For the love of God, please drop them. Like, <laughs> do yourself a favor. Like, I'm trying to help, you know, help her learn the ropes of fantasy. That That's a big one. Just you need one defense. I, I there There's very rare instances that when your defense is on the bye, you don't just drop them and pick up a different defense. Like I, I understand people like, well, my, you know, I have the, the second rank defense. It's like, cool. They had two good weeks. Like all it takes is you having your, your pick six in week one to look like you're the best defense for the first five weeks versus having it in week 15. And it looks like, okay, now you, you just even up. So yeah, it, it's just not worth it. Keeping them on your roster when there's other options. That's a great point. Yeah. With the bye weeks, especially too, like, there's been so many instances of defenses that have been absolutely dominant based off of uh, matchups for the first like eight or nine weeks. Then those bye weeks start happening. And then at the back half of the season, the matchups get a little tougher. You start playing against some better opponents and it completely falls off. And you wish you were playing that pot hand the entire time and not holding on to two defenses like that. So I think it happened with like the Patriots once. It's happened with the Bucks yeah. before. Like it happens all the time. And we have good data behind that. So as much as it sounds counterintuitive, defense wins championships, but it doesn't happen. Not fantasy championships. So, um, we, <laughs> let's I, take a sec. Let's just, just maybe give me your favorite defense and special teams. Like if okay, you say somehow you're you're like maybe you're picking first of the last round, and you you just have the the entire crop of defenses. Who do you go for? Yeah, let's say like I drafted JT first overall, got good luck, had the number one overall pick. I think defensive wise, I'm going with the Cleveland Browns first overall. Um, For a variety of reasons, they have a very favorable first few weeks um, before I would ever consider streaming another defense. Um, They start against Carolina, 
which, yes, they have Baker Mayfield, who is going to be young and uh, very angry to go against his former team. But then they played the abysmal New York Jets with Joe Flacco. They have Pittsburgh with a lot of, like, quarterback, what's happening. And then the Atlanta Falcons, Marcus Mariota, whoever ends up maybe supplanting Marcus Mariota if he has a cold start. So that defense just makes a lot of sense. They have a lot of talent as well. A lot of guys that can generate turnovers like Denzel Ward. I think they're a very obvious candidate to be the best defense um, or at least among the best defenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like the Broncos and the Colts. And I think the main thing, you know, I'll talk about the Broncos more. So um, I, I want defenses that can turn the ball over. Cause that that's kind of the only predictable although not really predictable you know point outcome for a defense so the i think the the big driver there is like teams that can get sacks because they're they're putting a ton of pressure on the quarterback to make bad decisions and then they have the secondary they can back it up so when you look at the broncos you know they've got good pass rushers they got patrick sertan he's a great cornerback that you know they've always had kind of a decent secondary so that that's a team you know even last year like their defense carried them even with a bad offense well this year they have a good offense which good offenses help defenses because they control the ball so like your your defense is getting put in better spots to to make big plays and that's what you want to have so like that that's a i think a good defense to to potentially target yeah no i fully agree and if you're looking at the broncos they have a bunch of young very hungry very angry kind of players that are really excited to get at it in this AFC West. I think the Broncos are a great pick. And then also with your Colts pick, Stephon Gilmore has looked like his like defensive player of the year, kind of Stephon Gilmore so far in preseason. So I like that pick a lot. Yeah, I think you brought up a point there. The Colts are probably a better pick because they're playing worse opponents. Like think of your defense. If you're playing Patrick Mahomes twice a year, the Raiders twice a year and the Chargers twice a year, that makes it pretty tough on you to where, even if the Broncos look great, those are some rough matchups. The Colts get to play the Jags twice, the Titans twice, and the Texans twice. Like that might be a little bit more, a little bit better for matchup. Yeah, matchups wise, that's that's definitely a little bit something to consider. Uh, luckily, with the Colts, they start with Houston, which is always a good thing. Then they move to Jacksonville, always a good thing as well. Played those good AFC South matchups. Broncos start with Seattle, which could be a young, angry. Uh, Geno Smith, and then they moved to Houston. So there's good back-to-back matchups there before you would consider streaming someone else. A couple other matchups, um, defenses that I really, really like. I really like the Ravens for week one as well. They're playing the New York Jets. How could you not like that matchup? Um, They have a very great defense that they're putting together. A lot of the guys are really starting to gel. We talked a lot about their defense in the past. Um, I really like the Saints defense as well. Um, They did lose Marcus Williams to the Baltimore Ravens, but they've retained a lot of that talent um, still around there. They picked up Tyron Matthew, didn't they? The, they, the Saints they picked, or... Yeah, they did get Matthew to okay. replace him. A little bit later in the offseason, which was a little strange. But yeah. uh, start week one against Atlanta, that's always a great thing. And then the Eagles, who always have the Lions number seemingly, at least on defense, uh, they play the Detroit Lions week one. They are, like you mentioned, a turnover machine seemingly. They have a lot of guys like... Darius Slay that can just get a turnover every second. Right. With an offense that makes the game shorter, so there's less chance for them to give up points. Exactly. So it's an inexact science in defense. You don't know, you can't predict very predictably how a team is going to end up. So it just makes sense to pick these teams at the end. But there are some that are a little bit better 
than others. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's go to kickers. I think we've talked defense enough, man. There's, there's, <laughs> we, we can only talk about how much we don't care about drafting them and then still talk 20 minutes about the defenses we like. So Yeah, I love defenders, man, but it's tough. So uh, kickers are fun. There's some good options this year. Um, the number one kicker, in my opinion, has to be Justin Tucker. Are you any different than that? Yeah, I mean, Justin Tucker is just automatic. Um, I, I think the you know the argument you could make against him is he plays outdoor in all of his games, more or less, being in the the AFC uh, North. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little tougher. But the the dude's just automatic. I mean, you you can't not just love having him. Um, I like. I like the like the Rodrigo Blankenships of the world because when you have your games in a dome, it just makes it easier. And he's got some sick specs, so like you just you gotta love him. You respect the specs and, and hope for some good kicks there. Yeah, I generally just like to target guys that are in high powered offenses. So Matt Gay for the Rams, I think makes a lot of sense. I think Brett Maher for the Cowboys, they led the league in touchdowns last year. Just start racking up those extra point points very very easily. Um, I think guys like Harrison Bucker make a lot of sense. He's been accurate in the past. He had a little bit of a down year last year, but he's going to be getting the extra points and those field goal opportunities. Um, one of the more interesting guys, and I kind of wanted to hear your take, was uh, Daniel Carlson, the kicker for the Raiders. Like, he was amazing last year, but that was, like, partly because of the Raiders' offense just stagnating as soon as they got inside the red zone, and then you got to kick a lot of field goals. Do you see a lot of that replicating this year? Yeah, I don't think it's going to replicate the same because they they have better red zone threats this year. However, I mean, he proved the consistency and and they really trust him as a kicker. And I think that's all you can really ask for is, you know, someone, again, playing in a dome, they had the team's trust and, you know, they've they've been able to to kick tough field goals. You know, he's made plenty of, of close game type field goals. So it's just a crapshoot at a certain point, like, you want teams that can at least get into the red zone to give them a chance, and that's a guy that their team can you know move move the ball very quickly and give them a shot at kicking field goals for you. Yeah, one hundred percent. So uh, kickers are a little bit of a wasteland as well. Um, you'll always end up having a kicker that like loses their job halfway through the year, and then someone else ends up supplanting them, and it makes all of this analysis really stupid whenever you're looking at the preseason stuff. Um, but some of these guys are a better bet than others. It's just like whenever you look at like Justin Tucker, for example. He outscored like the twelfth best kicker last year by like one and a half points. So yeah, I still, regardless, it's like don't be an Eddie, don't take Justin Tucker in, in the round ten. You know, go <laughs> go ahead and wait on him a little bit. Shout out Eddie. Shout uh, out Eddie. So that's that's our kicker defense analysis. Uh, if it feels a little weak, that's because it is because it's just not sticky. Uh, but please, please, if you have a singular takeaway from this entire segment. Don't take a kicker or defense until the last couple of rounds. Unless you're in my league, then take them early because so I can get all the you know all the lottery picks. Exactly. That, that's what we like to see whenever you can take advantage of some of your friends because we're bad people. So um, exactly. we're going to roll into our final segment um, where we're going to be talking about takes that we're bearish or bullish on. Uh, Jimmy D and I are both spreadsheet warriors. We're both finance bros. So we're going to be talking about some different takes that we're bearish and bullish on, like you would be a bearish or bullish on a stock evaluation. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, we have some interesting names that are going on to this one. Um, so my first one to you is about Tajay Sharp. Uh, I'm curious to hear if you are bearish or bullish on him just in general this season. 
He is a wide receiver for the Chicago Bulls this year. He formerly Chicago Bulls. That that's impressive. Chicago Bears. Sorry, <laughs> he's tall enough to play for Chicago Bulls. Maybe, yeah. Uh, Chicago Bears. Excuse me. Uh, I, I'm curious what your thoughts on him. If you're if you're bearish, if you're bullish. Uh, he was incredible with the Tennessee Titans as like a wide receiver two, wide receiver three in the past. Um, and now he's in an offense that is dying for a second option out of, out of Darnell Moon. Right. So I'm curious. Yeah, I think you're setting me up here. You, you know, you, you're using the word like, you know, incredible or awesome as a wide receiver two. I'm super bearish. Um, if, if we're using stock terms, I'd be shorting the shit out of Tajay Sharp here. Like the, the Bears offense is pretty tough pretty tough to trust i think darnell mooney is a stud but i like that would be about it as far as that receiving core maybe some cold commit shares but uh i'm not trusting it he he had every opportunity to to do really well with the titans the past couple years with all the heat being taken off of him by aj brown and even julio jones so if you're if you're not showing up there other than a couple of random touchdown type games like I don't think this Bears offense is where you're going to shine, so I'm I'm not taking him anywhere. That doesn't mean I won't pick him up on the waivers. Like I don't personally dislike the the, the guy. It's just I'm not drafting him anywhere. That's fair. I really wanted to just like bring him up because like I think he will be a guy this year. Like I don't think we're going to just never bring up Sharp ever again for the the entire. All right, market market for the scoreboard. Yeah, put put a little flag up. You know, like put a little alert okay. in like September or something like that. Like check out sharp. All right. Code, so so I, my guy for you, mainly because he's had an incredible preseason. Uh, I everyone who's been listening to the pod knows that I'm big Trubisky, the human being fan. I don't necessarily think he's a great quarterback, but I, I wanted to see Mitch get another chance, but. Kenny Pickett's looked really good. Uh, are you bearish or bullish on Kenny Pickett for this season? Yeah, I'm kind of similar that you are with Trubisky. I think that Pickett's a cool person. There's some really great stories of when he was at Pitt. Uh, he, for people that don't know, he went from the Pitt Panthers in college to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the NFL, traveled all of like one mile in order to go from college to the, to the pros. Uh, there's some really great stories whenever he was in college, just like being an anonymous, cool guy that like, actually showed up for class and like actually did his thing and like did the academics and all that. Um, the weird thing that came out with him during the pre-draft process was that his hands were really small, which was like a big thing that happened with Teddy Bridgewater, which caused Teddy Bridgewater to go from like the surefire first overall pick to falling to the end of the first round and getting drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. So Pickett went in the middle of the first round, he ended up being the first quarterback off the board. Um, his preseason tape has been a little up and down. Um, the wide receiver core looks great, even though Deontay Johnson just went down tonight. Um, Pat Fryermuth looks fine. Najee Harris, he's one of my boys. The offensive line looks okay. I just don't really necessarily see Kenny Pickett being anywhere near fancy relevant this year. Um, it's going to be tough for him to, one, beat off, uh, break, uh, break away from uh, uh, Rudolph, who is mm -hmm. seemingly like the second or third starter and then also beating uh, Mitch Trubisky. So there's there's multiple options that could end up being there. Yeah. So I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly bearish on can, Kenny Pickett this year. Can we get the soundbite? So you're saying Kenny Pickett will not beat off Mitch Trubisky nor Mason Rudolph. It sounds like that's where you're going with it. Let's uh, let's make sure we delete that. Out of the <laughs> okay. Well, well, tell, tell, the, tell the editing team to, to maybe cut that one out. Yeah, the editing of me and you. I, I, yeah, that's going to definitely haunt me in some job interviews one day. But I will uh, I will pass on Kenny Pickett. I, I don't okay. really want to draft him this year. 
The next guy that I had for you, something that we briefly touched on earlier in this podcast, is Amir uh, Abdullah, uh, Fear mm-hmm. Amir, uh, the, the team of fighting Amirs. There's so many great things with Amir Abdullah. He's a running back out of Nebraska, one of my favorite players of all time. He is a now second-slash-third-string running back for the Las Vegas Raiders. He's right behind Josh Jacobs and Zamir White. Definitely looks like he's in line for the receiving group, uh, receiving uh, touches. So are you bearish or bullish on Amir Abdullah as being a fancy relevant player this year? I'm going to throw a wild card. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to give him a buy rating. I'm not going to give him a sell rating. I'll give a hold rating here, okay? So I think in a PPR league, I can understand at least the logic behind grabbing the guy. I just don't know yet, you know, if, if I'm going to be the person holding on to him. I think you keep an eye, uh, to, you know, for for the kind of like the maybe like the Bollinger Bands to kind of show that pricing indication that he's he's going to be somebody. If, if we're going to keep as many finance you know relevant terms in here, but after the first week, if if it looks like you know even if he doesn't have the greatest game, but he's on the field a lot, especially on third down, he's getting targets. Then maybe someone you you grab as a waiver. Um, it, you know, if you're in a deeper league, that's PPR, I would say draft him. But th- he's not someone I'm inherently like, oh, I can't stand him or like absolutely, you know, pound your fist on the table, have to have him. So I'll give I'll give the hold rating and say I can understand if you make the argument for it. I just don't know if I'll be the one that's 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 snagging him. No, that's completely fair. I like that. Okay, so then this one and again, obviously we're both high on Damian Pierce, but again, where he's starting to go in drafts, are you you know, bearish on, or sorry, bullish, bearish or bullish on Damian Pierce as an RB2? As an RB2, I'm honestly, as much as we've been kind of ragging on the evaluation of him so far this pod, I'm still fairly bullish on him. I'm really tired of our friends sniping us at 60th overall or 50th overall, but like right at that 70th overall, I think he is such a value just based off the volume. The situation still kind of sucks, and it's like Marlon Mack is still there. There's a couple guys that could be potentially hanging on to some targets. But I think whenever you have a guy that has just like a surefire path to RB1 or RB2 production, you have to be at least a little bit bullish and he he's a worthy draft. Uh, this might come back to bite us a little bit a few weeks into the season, whenever it turns into more of a committee kind of thing. But I think right now, if you're drafting Pierce at like 70 or 80th, that's a win. If you're drafting him at 50 or 60th, like you need to go outside and jump in a pool or something and get a little bit of cold water on you. Yeah, here's an interesting take because th- this happened in the draft you and I are in. So he actually went off the board before Antonio Gibson. Yeah. I think we mentioned it earlier where it's like, yeah, and Gibson's is, is falling, but you know, do you do you think Damian Pierce or Antonio Gibson ends up having the better season? Well, well, with the with the unfortunate news of Brian Robinson, I think you have to go Gibson uh, to reinforce you who drafted Gibson uh, in that league. But I think Gibson will end up having an ever so slightly better year. Uh, because the competition's kind of cleared out a little bit. And uh, even with McKissick kind of breathing down his neck a little bit, that Washington offense has been a little bit more um, sustainable whenever it comes to running back production. So, like, I give a slight edge to Gibson. Like, if Gibson's the 55th overall pick and (laughs) the 60th overall pick, I think that makes sense. Okay, gotcha. Last guy I want to talk to you about, just because there's been a lot of hype about him coming into the preseason, has been Neem Hines, uh, running back, backup running back for the Indianapolis Colts. Last year, a lot of people, I think, forget Jonathan Taylor really didn't seize the opportunity right at the beginning of the season. Those like first like eight weeks, there's a little bit of a limbo. Hines was a little bit of a guy for a bit there. 
Um, he had some injury stuff happen with him. And it seems like Hines is just like an overall talented guy. And it seems like the the Colts staff really, really likes Neem Hines as well. So do you think Hines is a worthy, like last roster spot kind of guy if he starts ending up into eating into Taylor's workload? Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Bearish or bullish there? I'm very bearish on Naheem Hines. I, I don't even think you have to say last roster spot. I think he he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, after you've you've rounded out your team, you, you feel good about it. Uh, you know, maybe the third or fourth bench depth spot on, on your roster. I think he's a great pick there because, you know, you've mentioned it, the, the Colts love him. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, you know, he can catch the ball, but he's not necessarily their passing down back. And that is what Naheem Himes plays. Now they have an older quarterback, so Carson Wentz hates checking down. Matt Ryan's perfectly happy checking down the ball. He's a little bit more disciplined in that regard. Naheem Himes might get 20 to 30 more catches this year than last year. So, you know, in PPR, that's 30 points right there. He's incredibly athletic. You know, he had those plays last year where he was like, hit a backflip over a guy or just like that crazy spin move, you know, for like a two-touchdown type game, like, he has moves. He's a great running back. He just happens to be behind Jonathan Taylor. Like, you know, I, I think he's absolutely worth rostering. And, and let's not forget, like, running backs get hurt. Jonathan Taylor, if they just keep feeding him the rock, is going to get banged up a little bit. Who's going to step in that role? I mean, I guess you could say Marlon Mack, but I think that he's kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. And, and Naheem Himes kind of just steps into that role of if they need someone to fill in 10 touches, uh, it's going to be him. And, and I think it's going to be a, an improved offense. So I'm, I'm all for Naheem Himes. I'll, I'll go bearish on this. So we're not just being a fuddy daddy on all the, all the picks he gave me. No, I percent I think a lot of people last year, um, there was a lot of conversation about the best handcuffs and you had the obvious guys like Alexander Madison, you had the Tony Pollards, but then one of the guys that just never got talked about during the preseason last year from what I consumed was Chuba Hubbard. And mm-hmm. people were like, this entire offense is built around running. It's all built around CMC. And then as soon as Christian McCaffrey got hurt, it was like, oh, Hubbard, this just makes a lot of sense. And so it seems like a lot of that's happening this year as well, where like we all want that really sexy handcuff kind of guy. And like the most obvious one might be Naeem Hines. Like what if Taylor gets hurt? They have this offense completely built around running, even if there's Matt Ryan now. And so the, the guy who's going to be the main beneficiary is the very obvious guy, Naeem Hines. So, like, he yeah. might be the best handcuff in all of football. Yeah, so, I mean, just, you know, not to be sitting here on my phone, but, you know, I just pulled up to kind of look at the draft you're in right now. So we're in round 10. I'll come back up at round 11. Like, you know, we're looking at these 120s-type picks, right? So now you're at the point I've got a few guys on, on my bench already. And then at that point, okay, like Alexander Madison, again, that's a handcuff. Like, like every running back you're going to grab ahead of him is – or, or in the same area, it's, you know, Madison, Hines, Henderson, Spiller, uh, you know, it's all guys that it's really a question mark, right? Like that, that everyone you're getting at this point is a question mark. So now you have to think, okay, who has the opportunity to step into an RB1 type role? Alexander Madison and Naheem Himes both have that where it's like, if the number one guy goes down, their team trusts them. You know, you've seen it with Alexander Madison when Dalvin cooks out, he just produces Naheem Himes. You've seen it even with Jonathan Taylor in the lineup. I mean, he'll get receiving touchdowns. So as your fourth or fifth, you know, roster spot or bench spot, even your third bench spot, I, I think he's perfectly acceptable to draft and, and even get a little earlier than that one. It, it says one thirty ADP on sleeper, which is a little off because for some reason sleeper actually ranks defenses and special and like kickers higher. Uh, so this is one of those ones where hey, if 
your league's, you know, drafting defenses, snaggy some Naheem Himes uh, and, and kind of round out that depth on your roster. That's a great point. Yeah, let those defenses go by the wayside and get Naeem Himes as soon as you can. So to close out today's pod, we, we have a quick listener question, actually. This one comes from... I'm excited. I know, this one's so Andrew Mack, my brother. I have a cousin also named Andrew Mack, but this is my brother, Andrew Mack. So this wasn't prepared, but he just sent it to me. So Jimmy D... Very generic question, but also an important one. So when starting up your own league, what are some of the ways that you can use to make it more fun? Yeah, we talked about this first or second pod, probably second because that was our quarterback podcast. Do super flex. It, I, for me, I love seeing high scoring fantasy games. So I want to be able to fill in as many roster spots as possible with people playing. And there's just so many good athletes in the NFL that are relevant. It's like, why not try to get to play all of them? So definitely super flex. I think depending on the group you have, you could throw in IDP a little bit. I've done some of it like with my family. I don't know if it's the most relevant, but it, it adds a little bit of, you know, a difference maker to it. Uh, you know, that one's kind of give or take it, but it could kind of add some fun to it. I, I personally like full PPR over half PPR. I think it's, it's one of those ones where it's like, if, if you're with a group of guys that can just is good at about projecting at least usage, it's like that benefits those who are better at projecting usage because targets and, and receptions are a lot easier to project than like touchdowns. So I, I think that kind of skews the playing fields of people that actually pay attention to football a bit more than just getting lucky with touchdowns. And then I think adding uh, an, an extra slot in general. So, traditionally ESPN is two running back, two receivers, a quarterback, a tight end, a defensive kicker. I love that kind of that draft King setup of two running backs, three wide receivers, a flex, a tight end. And I've even been in leagues where it's three wide receivers, two flex. Like again, I just, I love getting to play players. I, I hate when you're looking at your, your roster and like agonizing over picks of like, Oh, who am I putting in there? It's like, I just want to play everybody. So why, why not just like, your, your bench depth is like four or five. Who cares? Because you're just playing every possible person you can. I, I think it adds a, a ton of fun to it. And it, it makes your decisions um, more impactful, right? Because you're like, okay, it's a, it's a bye week. I have three dudes on a bye. Once one guy injured, it's like, do I just, you know, do I eat the points here and, and drop someone that's really relevant? Or do I drop the relevant guy because I'm making that playoff push? Like, it's like every decision's just that much more impactful. So just, again, just play as many slots as possible. People like seeing points scored. Yeah, no, 100%. I think those are some amazing points. Um, just real quick, IDP is individual defensive player. For anyone that's not familiar, you basically draft like a defensive player. It doesn't matter if it's a defensive tackle, linebacker, whatever. There's some different yeah. stats that you can play around with. That's really fun, especially if you're like trying to learn more about the other side of the league. A lot of people only know about the fantasy side of the league, which pretty much excludes defensive players. Um, I think you made some great points for Super Bowl, uh, Super Flex Leagues, um, just having some different flexibility. You want to be able to play your guys, and it's really agonizing whenever there's some weird restrictions there. I think some other fun things that you can do as well is messing around with uh, how you do your draft. One draft that I've always really wanted to do that I think would be super fun is no one gets any sort of cheat sheet. No one gets any sort of rankings in front of them. 
and you simply draft based off of memory. I think that would be super fun if your league is really knowledgeable and you all know that like you know your guys, but then like randomly you forget about Brandon Cooks and it's like 140th and you're like, oh, hey, I get a stud at 140th because I rarely remember that there's a Houston, Texas receiver that hasn't been yeah. yet. You've, you've mentioned that league to me before. It's definitely a league for degenerates, but it could be a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, I think another fun thing that you can do is eliminating defense and special teams. We talked about that a lot on this pod. I think a fun thing that a lot of people have done as well is adding punters and adding punting yards is a big thing. You basically just like have to look for those offenses that are really anemic and try and get the punters that punt a lot and punt really freaking far. I think that's really fun because like who the hell knows punter names? So it's like adding a little bit of randomness into your league that way. Um, I think some other fun things that you can play around with are just like the scoring in general, just pumping them up a little bit. Like no one wants to win a matchup like 85 to 84, like pumping them up a little bit to like being like 300 to like three you know 321 or something like that like that can be a little bit fun as well um so there's there's some good options that like espn yeah to, to your point on scoring if you're on like an espn standard they might have changed it by now but make sure you, you change your settings to every yard being a tenth of a point versus 10 yards is one point because there's been so many times where it's like ties or like tie breakers don't end up happening because you have a guy with 19 yards instead of 20 yards and you get one point and not two and it's like that that actually can break your your uh or like cause you to lose um, but then also there's an element here. I, I don't know if you've ever played a tight end, uh, premium league where, you know, the tight end position kind of is an afterthought a little bit for people. So sometimes they, they do like a tight end one and a half times their points or like 1.25 times their points. So your tight end really does kind of give you wide receiver production. Have you ever done that? And, and what are your thoughts there? I've never done a tight end premium league, but it's one that I've always wanted to do. Another type of league that I've never done is best ball, but that's an option on more and more formats as well. I, I bet by next year, almost everyone will have done a best ball or, or within the next within the next five, I'll say. I think a lot of leagues will switch over to that. Yeah, best ball is like the ideal format for anyone that like lives a busy life, which like we all do. So basically you draft your team and then you never do waivers. You never set your matchups or your, your lineup at all. And every single week they pick like by CPU, they pick the best guys for those positions that you have. And then you never have to actually deal with like setting your lineup, doing the waiver claims, anything like that. And it's just best man wins at that point, which is super fun. Yeah. Okay. One more question just uh, to throw it in there too. If we're just talking about fun of draft, do you prefer doing a redraft league or like a more of a dynasty? Because I know one of, the, one of the most fun parts of the league, or at least where people are most excited is the draft, because that's when everyone's team has potential, it feels like. But I think dynasty is a ton of fun because it's like your draft picks are really impactful. And then every year you're just doing a rookie draft, which is kind of exciting because it, it gets you to know the new players a lot better. Uh, but I don't know if you know how you feel about dynasty leagues. Yeah, I'm really thankful that I'm in a variety of different leagues that are redraft and dynasty. But if I had to pick one, I would always pick dynasty. I think it's so much it's so much more fun. You keep your core group of friends together and you can do a variety of different strategies, whether it's like you're kicking the can down the road and you're just rebuilding, or you're like, I'm going all in for this single year. And it's super freaking funny whenever you have that team that's just like, I'm tanking that ends up knocking out the team that's like been going super hard and sweating the entire year. So those yeah. are the ones I prefer. I think it's really fun like doing like, oh, this guy's really young versus this guy's really old. And like, I want the 22 year old versus like the 35 year old. And you could trade for some draft capital. Like, it feels like more you're like having control of your real team, like it's franchise mode on Madden. So that's what yeah, I prefer. Absolutely. What do you think? 
No, I, I, I didn't start doing dynasty until last year and I really enjoy it. Um, my, my main dynasty team's not great. I, you know, made a couple bad picks, but just gives you a chance to kind of try to build uh build for the future. And, and, you know, like you said, you know, trade, trade good guys now for, for future picks later. Uh, so yeah. it's, I think it's a ton of fun. It's, it's definitely a learning curve. You, you know, every, every choice you make is just a little bit more impactful. Exactly. And at the end of the day, fantasy is all about having fun, uh, do whatever you enjoy. And if you're inclined, do a few leagues where you can try like a couple of different formats. Cause there's some ways to get really, really creative out there. And they're always super fun if you're with some good friends. So, um, this ended up being a surprisingly super fun podcast, even though we were talking about defense and special teams and injury luck and everything like that. So thank you all for listening. Um, we'll be back later this week with a college football preview is the plan before we hit actual week one. We had week zero this past year or this past week, and now we're having week one. Um, so we really appreciate you all listening in. If you have any questions or like any general comments, we'll definitely answer them. Just submit them to MacNDutton at gmail.com and we'll make sure we answer this on the pod. So any final words, Jimmy D? No, just send us your, your mailbag questions. I, that, that was a great way to attend the episode. It's fun answering the kind of off the cuff uh, questions. Yeah, we love them. So thank you all so much and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, everybody.